With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. For more than a decade, Eddie Lou tried to find the next big thing. 99-cent smartphone apps, golf apparel, Japanese desserts. They all flopped, but he wasn't headed back to the Wall Street world he left. Then he got into high-end sneakers with an online marketplace called GOAT. That's as in greatest of all time, like they say in sports and rap. In 2015, on Black Friday, GOAT blew up. It couldn't keep up with orders and thousands went unfilled. Lou felt sick about it, but he also knew he finally had something worth fighting for. We responded to every single customer service message. But at that point, it was better to be hated than unknown. Today, GOAT is the world's biggest sneaker resale market. It has over $100 million in funding, 7 million users, more than 300 employees, and 400,000 pairs for sale. Earlier this year, it merged with the retail store Flight Club. I was in a sneakers in college, and trust me, this is a big deal. Lou's co-founder, Daishin Sugano, has been with him for every failed startup. And Lou says it's thanks to him and a pair of counterfeit sneakers that they finally hit the ground running. My co-founder, he's a huge sneaker enthusiast. He started buying sneakers when his dad bought him his first pair of Jordans, the Jordan 5 Grapes, back in the day. Yeah, and with the purple in them. Yeah, with yeah. the purple in them. And 23 years later, because Michael Jordan's number is 23, they re-released the Jordan 5 Grapes. And he went on eBay, bought a pair of the Jordan 5 grapes, and he got them, and it just didn't feel right. They turned out to be fake. He tried to ask the seller for his money back. He tried to contact eBay. It's just the owner's process. So we were just like, we could build a really great app to, to help clean up this market. And so we built Goats. At what point in your life did you realize that you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Well, after my aspiring basketball career ended and um, <laughs> the Lakers didn't draft me out of college, um, apparently they didn't like computer science skills. But, um, you know, I, it's not like I had a network of lemonade stands when I was a kid or anything like that. So you're I not just, falling into that mythology? No. <laughs> <laughs> for, for me, it was more, I, li- I always liked building things and that's why I did computer science. You know, I graduated in 03 when CS wasn't in favor. It was after the dot-com bust and it was just because I liked building things that I wanted to do computer science. And, you know, I, I went into corporate life. I was a consultant. I was an analyst at Lehman Brothers when it still existed. Yeah. Why did you get into finance if you got a computer science degree? I I never wanted to do hardcore programming. I, I actually did like building businesses and kind of thinking about new problems. But, you know, going into corporate life, I realized I'm not a good employee, <laughs> to be <laughs> honest. But um, when I worked at Lehman, I became roommates with Daishin. And just every night after work, we would just talk about, like, 
what we could build on the side, what we could do, how to create a new business. It wasn't a startup back then. It was just, let's create a new business while we're young. And so... Why? You know, what do you think drove you to say that? I, I, I don't know, besides the fact that, you know, we, we always wanted more for some reason. I mean, I, I left my job in consulting to do banking because I was just kind of bored and it just like wasn't stimulating. So I thought doing like a banking job would would be a lot more rewarding and challenging. You know, there's a lot more work, but it still wasn't like challenging to kind of me and us. And so we just kept talking about other ideas on the side. But working corporate jobs like that, demanding corporate jobs, it's really hard to try to do another business on the side. So Daisha and I quit cold turkey on the same day in 2007. And we were just like, let's just quit and figure it out. Much to the chagrin of our parents. You know, <laughs> my dad was very happy I had a Lehman Brothers job. But we just we just didn't feel like it was right. We wanted to try something while we were young. So we just quit and started to do stuff. And thankfully, you know, Daishin is a designer. I was a developer. That was when the iPhone just came out. And so we built a bunch of those kind of 99-cent apps. That, that's what, like games or stuff? Games, yeah. little apps, little to-do apps, all, all those types of things. Uh, to to just kind of start our startup journey, so that, that's that's where we started, and we just kind of never looked back, thankfully. And it's but it's been a long, painful, meandering road to go. Do you think that you and Daishin would have quit your jobs cold turkey had you guys not had these conversations? Would you have done it on your own if he had not been in your life? I think having a co-founder you can trust is so important. I mean, you hear all the time where it's it's really hard to start a startup by yourself. And I've seen it through the years. And believe me, Daisha and I have worked through our issues. We're an old married couple now, but in the beginning, we've had physical fights. We've thrown <laughs> each other to the ground. There was this one time at a restaurant, I remember, we had a disagreement about some business term and we were yelling at each other at the restaurant. People were looking at us. He got up and walked away, and I kept on barking at him, walking out the door, and we totally forgot to pay. <laughs> and we, we just walked out the door all mad at each other. But we, we knew that, you know, just right after that, we were just like, okay, let's just focus again. Let's just get to it. And that's, that's what's really built the company. I mean, resilience is another one of our core values, and it's because we were able to bounce back so quickly from, from setbacks. And thankfully, since we've been together and worked through all those issues for so long, now that we're doing GOAT, it's just so much easier. We know our lanes. We know what each other's good at, and we just can execute. Yeah. And in the early years when you were learning, I mean, you had a bunch of odd businesses like golf apparel, those phone apps, uh, high-end tea, the Japanese cream puff, things like, what were you trying to accomplish? Were you just like throwing things at the wall and seeing what stuck? Um, what's, what's funny about the Cream Puff franchise is that, you know, we were building startups on the side, iPhone apps, stuff like that. We were just like, hey, this is a cool single product, easy to do concept because it's just, you know, single product Cream Puff concept. When Let's was just, this? This in. was right about 07, 08 when we decided to do these things. And we were just like, this could be great passive income because, you know, we could just put some money in, hire some good managers, and, you know, they can operate the stores and we can have passive income while we build our startup dreams. And um, nothing is ever passive, <laughs> if you know about kind of the food service industry. So it quickly went from a passive income to something that was pretty hands-on, especially during the 08 downturn where things were kind of going, going down. And so we operated the store a lot. We worked the store 
a lot of friends are always saying, oh, I would love to own a coffee shop or a restaurant someday. For me, it's just like, no, don't ever do that because the chance for success is so hard. We quickly learned. Thankfully, we did it while we were young. But those things scale linearly. It's, there's no exponential growth. So it's like you just have to put in capital. You might make a little bit of money. Chances are you won't. And we learned that tough lesson on, for those few years because you know, we were in it. It was not passive. We were spending probably 80% of our time doing that and 20% working on a startup. So after a few years, we sold some, we dissolved some, and we just moved on because we just had to cut our losses. But it was a great learning lesson while we were young. Why do you think you have that resilience? Me personally, um, I'm pretty stubborn, I guess. <laughs> I, th- I think, I mean, I, I, just, I just think I've, I was pretty independent growing up. You know, my parents, you know, didn't pay for college and pay for my car. I just had to kind of figure things out when, when I was growing up. I mean, you know, we kind of had a middle class upbringing. So I just had to like figure things out and just couldn't, couldn't just fall back on anyone. So I think just because of that, I've been pretty stubborn and just like focused on, on just really making sure things work. Was there ever a moment during that where you questioned what you were doing and wondered, do I need to go back to an office job? How many thousands of moments are we, are we talking about? When we were doing the Cream Puff franchise and it was, you know, 09 when, you know, the economy wasn't good and we were in debt, you know, every kind of debt possible. I was credit card debt and debt to my ex-girlfriend, my girlfriend at the time. I was, I was, it was a lot of pain. You know, I would wake up in the middle of the night with just pangs of guilt and I, I was scared. Yeah. And you know, but I don't think Daisha and I ever thought, to be honest, going back to a big corporate job just was probably worse than <laughs> worse than that. I dreaded every Sunday afternoon, you know, when I was working at a big corporate job. And I never felt that ever since we kind of started doing our whole entrepreneurship journey. So I just think it was not going to be in the cards. We were just, I think we were just foolish and stupid, but we just thought we would just figure it out. So before you got to GOAT when you were building Grub with us, you raised $7 million for that, right? Yes. So by the time that you pivoted to GOAT, didn't you only have like a million dollars left? Yeah, it was a, a fun journey. A, you know, we have investors at that point, and we pivoted actually a couple times. You know, a few of our investors were, were antsy. They wanted us to get acquired. They wanted us to return the money. Because, you know, we, we tried a few times and we didn't work. And we, we did those kind of acquire meetings. We talked to different companies. But again, we, we just didn't want to be a middle manager at some, some random company. And so, you know, to be honest, I shall be the first person to tell you, we, we didn't try too hard when, when we had those acquire conversations because we knew that we wanted to just keep going. And at a certain point, we made a decision and we told our board that, hey, we have one last go, we're going we're gonna to try something. So he pitched it first. Daishin complained to me a lot about the, the fake great purchase that mm-hmm. he had. And we actually looked into the sneaker market and we actually didn't know if it was a big enough opportunity at the time because you know the recent trend is you know a, a lot of kids and especially males care a lot more about fashion. They're buying streetwear, they're buying sneakers. But back then we were just like, oh, it's kind of a, still a smaller market. So we kind of thought about the idea, but we put it on the side. And then our board member, Greg, at the time, he used to work at eBay. So one day at a board meeting, he was just like, hey, do you guys know anything about sneakers? And we were like, yeah. And he said, sneakers are one of the few categories that's actually growing. 
people don't collect baseball cards anymore, magic cards, stamps, coins, but sneakers were a collectible that was actually growing. And so we decided to look into it even further. And, you know, in collaboration with Greg, we were just like, hey, we could actually build this and do something. And so that's how Goat was born. Was this your last shot? I don't think it would have been the last shot. We would have figured out a way to to keep going. Daishin started as a sneaker fan, but you didn't personally? I've always liked sneakers, but it wasn't I wasn't as crazy as Daishin having 400 pairs and stuff like that. He he definitely was the enthusiast. So when you get into a space like this where there are so many obsessive fans, when you're just starting out like just entering into it, how are you able to offer an authentic experience for people who take this culture so seriously if you were kind of initially coming in as an outsider? Um, well, yeah, Daishin had all the product knowledge, so he's our head of product and he's really been driving it. But it was pretty painful in the beginning still. I mean, we launched in July of 2015 publicly. There was a day in late September. It was about 6 p.m. We still didn't have a sale that whole day. And I went in and bought a pair of shoes to tell the team, hey, guys, we got a sale. So it definitely was not easygoing because, I mean, it's a two-sided marketplace. There's there's a lot of stuff that has to happen for you to be able to scale. And we were, yeah, just figuring out how to just make an impact into into this market. If you look at our site today, it looks like a retail-like experience where you only see stock photos. And it's a big deviation from the past sneaker marketplaces, especially places like eBay, where you see the seller photos and all these kind of bad and crappy photos that they take. We decided to make it a retail-like experience because we wanted people to trust GOAT as as the single source of truth for authenticity. You don't have to trust the seller for authenticity. And actually, a lot of people in the sneaker market weren't fans of that. They actually... Big sneaker influencers in the industry emailed us and said, hey, not sure if this is the best way to go because, you know, we really want to see the pictures of, of these sneakers before we buy. And, you know, we just had a point of view. We said, no, this is how the future of the sneaker market is going to be where you want to trust us so that there's as little friction as possible in the market. So we went against some of our friends in the sneaker industry. So it, it was a matter of surrounding yourself with the people in the community, but also knowing when to just stick to your own guns. Yeah. And the inflection point actually happened Black Friday of 2015. It was funny. Our head of marketing, Sen, he, it was a week before Black Friday and he was just like, hey, why don't we create a Black Friday promo? And we're like, of course, just throw something up. We didn't think anything of it. It was just something else we're going to try for, for growth. And we decided to discount all the hottest styles of the year. It was the first year of kind of the Easy Turtle Dove, the Supreme Fives. But we said, hey, let's discount the 12 hottest styles of the year to retail prices. We put it out there, and the whole internet thought we had thousands and thousands of pairs, even though, I mean, we just had, you know, sub 100 pairs. But we we gained over 100,000 users because of the promo every single influential blog picked it up complex hype beast high snobiety and our servers crashed every single day because we've never had scale before this was the first time we had scale you know i was one of the back-end developers back then and you know we never cached any pages we never optimized queries and so it was just such a painful week up until black friday but on black friday as you can imagine it was so painful because a hundred thousand users tried to access our app and it just didn't work and we got so much hate mail and hate Instagrams. I'll show you it later. <laughs> There's just a comment a second about kind of like 
F you, you know, screw this app, all this stuff. And it was a pretty traumatic experience because we disappointed 100,000 people when only a few dozen people got shoes. And so, you know, we had this whole apology tour. We responded to every single customer service message. I think there was about 4,500 that day that we just went through. And we just didn't know what happened. But at that point, it was better to be hated than unknown. And even though it was so traumatic, I mean, I would have done it a thousand times over because it was that inflection point in our business where people were upset, but they they started to realize our value proposition. It's, hey, GOAT is this place where I don't have to worry about getting fakes because they authenticate my sneakers. So we turned it into from something that was bad into something that was good because we started to educate them about the, the market and us and the industry. And what's funny is that, I mean, to this day, we get some random messages that say, I haven't forgotten about that Black Friday yet. Um, but but also, we uh, we have a couple uh, employees from that. Um, it's funny, one of our earliest customer service managers, Krista, she she participated in that event. And, you know, because of all that commotion, she was like, I can probably help these guys <laughs> with their customer service. So, so she joined and she's so still she joined, with us yeah. today. Yeah. Why do you think it is that the sneaker industry, the collectible sides, like the more exotic ones, why do you think it's been so big in the last several years, 10 years even? So I I just think, you know, when I was a kid and you would go to a Foot Locker and say, hey, I want these Jordan 1s. And they'd be like, oh, sorry, we don't have your size, but we have these Pippins for you if you want them. And it was just like, oh, I'm just going to play basketball. Okay, fine. Let me get these Pippins. This day and age, people crave individuality and people know what they want. I mean, today, if you walk into a retailer and they don't have the exact thing that you want, you're going to turn away. You're going to look online. You're going to go somewhere else. So I just think that given that people crave individuality, they crave fashion, they they want to be unique. They come to us because of that. You don't want to just go to the store and just get whatever whatever they have left. Do you see it as a trend? Yeah, I definitely think it's a growing trend just because guys just haven't cared about fashion for so long. And, you know, there are were, there were a bunch of people kind of, yeah, the sneaker enthusiasts and the fashion enthusiasts who were kind of the self-starters of that trend and the first movers. But now guys just are more fashionable now. They they care about what they wear, and it's going to be a trend that lasts a long time. Yeah. So you were the first to market with offering this kind of online marketplace for buyers and sellers, get shoes authenticated. We actually weren't exactly the first to market. So Flight Club, which has been around for 13 years, they started as a brick-and-mortar consignment shop in New York, and they expanded to L.A., they have a huge web presence as well. And they really pioneered this industry. And thankfully, you know, we had the opportunity to merge Goat and Flight Club together earlier this year to really create the largest marketplace in the world. And it's really, you know, from their knowledge and tutelage that Goat even existed because we saw that there was a demand for for this category in this industry in terms of resale sneakers. For us, you know, we yeah we really looked up to them. I think we have a different vision than some of some of the other people. We are focusing on sneakers right now. Other companies have gone into handbags, watches, things like that. But for us, sneakers first. Let's build the best, most recognizable sneaker co- company. Let's build our brand, and it's because 
you know, when we did grow up with us, one lesson that we learned was that we tried to open in so many cities at once. You know, we opened in Chicago, Dallas, Austin, L.A., New York, and we didn't even get one city right before we tried to expand into all these other cities. And we kind of spread ourselves so thin that we just weren't able to execute anything well. And so for us, we're, we've barely scratched the surface in terms of selling sneakers. We're still a small player in the sneaker space. Our ideal vision is to be the sneaker market for everyone. So it's not just people who are buying Yeezys, but it's people who yeah, just want to buy that pair of runners or that pair of basketball shoes to wear. And so we want to service the whole market. And since we've barely scratched the surface, we want to focus on sneakers before we even think about going into other categories. What do you think the biggest challenge of your career has been? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the biggest challenges was winding down all the cream puff shops that we had. It was not fun. I mean, we honestly owed a bunch of money even to the city and the state winding down those products. We had investors that we had to unfortunately say, hey, we lost all your money. And it, yeah, it was just a big learning lesson into kind of the types of businesses we wanted to create in the future. And we never wanted to do something where we were restricted in terms of our vision because it was just much better to kind of set our own path. And I think even though it was a really tough lesson, again, it's one of those things I think Daish and I would have done over even though it was kind of our most challenging thing because we learned so much from kind of operating that franchise. And how did you pull yourself out of that? It took a long, long time, just slowly uh, repaying people. I mean, I repaid that ex I was talking about uh, over the years and just repaid the state, repaid a bunch of those debts. So it, it took a while to wind out, but thankfully, like I was saying, we were young, and so we were able to pull ourselves out of it. I just, I'm so glad it wasn't one of those things where you retire, and then you're like, hey, I want to open up a coffee shop, and then you put all your money into it, and it doesn't work, and you have to go back to work because of it. So thankfully, we were young and could, could afford to repay it. How do you personally define success? For me, success is really just happiness and freedom. I think, yeah, with success comes those naturally. And I think, you know, as long as you have the freedom to do what you want and you're enjoying every single day, that's that's pretty successful. What's next for you? You know, people ask us this a lot, you know, oh, are you going to sell your company? What are you going to do? Daish and I know that starting a startup is really hard. Getting product market fit is so difficult. I mean, we tried for so many years to do that. So as long as we're having fun, as long as we're successful, we're going we're gonna to keep going. I mean, it's not like I have a better idea. So I don't have a better idea. I don't want to be a middle manager somewhere. So let's just run this company, run it well, ex- be happy about it, enjoy every single day, and just like build a big business. That's, that's what's next. What advice would you give to someone who wants to have a career like yours? Definitely be resilient. I mean, it's goats had extreme success, thankfully, but it took a long time to get there. And it's really easy to give up. It's really easy to burn out being a startup founder. Thankfully, Daishan and I, like I was saying, are pretty foolish and stupid, so we just never gave up and just like just kept going. But it's probably very unlikely you're going to get it right on the first time or the second time or the third time. For, for me, my belief is just let's, let's try something, and if it doesn't work, we can always change. I mean, yeah, we're, it's not heart surgery. So I'm always willing to try something as long as there's a good hypothesis around it. I'm not the type of person where you do a ton of research and then, you know, you create a 50-page deck in order to start something. It's it's really, 
And the people who thrive kind of on our team, our executive team, are people who just get stuff done. And so it's just, hey, we have a hypothesis. It's you know grounded in some data-driven thought. It's grounded in some gut feeling. Let's try it. If it doesn't work, let's let's try something else. And I think that's why we've never given up, just because we're just like, there's always something to try. And so let's just keep going. It seems like you've already been in a situation where the worst case scenario came true, right? Yeah. And so <laughs> it's only up from here. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Eddie. Thank you, Rich. If you enjoy listening to Success How I Did It, you should give a listen to the Moving Up podcast from Wall Street Oasis. Host Alex Grodnick, investment banker turned entrepreneur, gives you a front row seat to the ups and downs of some of the world's most successful business leaders, founders, and investors. Guests like the CEO of Hulu, founder of Google Voice, and big time venture capitalists all sit down with Alex to reveal the secrets of their success. If you're looking for motivating career stories and advice you can use, check out the Moving Up podcast by Wall Street Oasis. Thanks for listening to Success How I Did It from Business Insider. Our show is produced by Anna Mazarakis and Sarah Wyman. Dan Bobkoff is our executive producer, and I'm Rich Filoni. Don't forget to subscribe, and we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a rating and review. It really helps new people find the show. We'll be back next week with another episode of Success. Success.